Welcome back to the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host, as always, Robbie Burke. And before we get into today's show, I just want to give a shout out to all of the show's sponsors. Firstly, upmentorship.com, which is one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. The Ultimate Performance Online Mentorship is 20 hours of top-class strength and conditioning information available for instant access right at your fingertips. To find out more, head over to upmentorship.com, which is linked up in the show notes. Check it out and help support the show. Next, I want to give a shout out to Altus360 and Altus Education, which are two outstanding online resources for any practitioner in the sports preparation profession. Be sure to head over to the show notes and check out these unique platforms. Next, I want to give a shout out to Joseph Johnson at Ultimate Alley Concepts. Ultimate Alley Concepts is a multifaceted company providing the most sophisticated scientific material in sports science. Ultimate Alley Concepts is the world's leading resource for translated sports preparation material. Next, I want to give a shout out to Papi's National Sports Performance Association, which is an online certification platform for professionals within the sports preparation profession. Currently, the NSPA has four certifications available. Speed and Agility, delivered by Lee Taft. Olympic Weightlifting, delivered by Will Fleming. Nutrition, delivered by Dr. Chris Moore. And Program Design, delivered by Coach Robert Dos For more information on the NSPA, be sure to check out all of the links in the show notes. Finally, I want to thank another brainchild of Pat Beef's, Athletes Acceleration, which is another online medium that delivers excellent educational resources for strength and conditioning professionals. And just like with all of our other sponsors, head over to the show notes to get the links to all of the available products that Athletes Acceleration has to offer. A full disclosure, except for Altus360 and Altus Education, I am an affiliate to all of the show sponsors. Lastly, before we get into today's interview, I just want to let all the listeners know that the podcast is now on Patreon. If you feel that you are in a position to support the show, I would truly appreciate any donations you'd be willing to make to help support the podcast. Okay, that's enough rambling from me. Let's get into today's show. This episode's guest is Dr. Andy Galpin. Andy is a tenured professor in the Center for Sports Performance at CSU Fullerton. Andy has a degree in exercise science, a master's degree in human movement sciences, and a PhD in human bioenergetics. Andy now focuses his attention on teaching classes such as sports nutrition, exercise physiology, designing exercise programs, applied strength conditioning, and athlete assessment and measurement. Andy also runs the BMEP lab, which studies the acute responses and chronic adaptations of human skeletal muscle in response to high force, high velocity, high power, and fatiguing exercise from the whole body down to the individual muscle fiber and even into the individual DNA. Andy and his team do this by taking muscle biopsies from non-athletes and elite athletes from different backgrounds, such as normal college students, MMA fighters, boxers, and weightlifters. They do this by using highly sophisticated laboratory techniques and equipment to address questions about single fiber type, size, function, protein quantity, diameter, mitochondria, and myonuclear function. You can get all of Andy and Andy's team's research in the show notes. On this episode, Andy and I discussed many topics, including Andy's background and his influences. Andy and I have a discussion about having perspective and context when it comes to life. 
I asked Andy what are the good and not so good things that he currently sees within the physical preparation and sports science professions and what solutions would he offer for the not so good things that he currently sees. I asked Andy what are the biggest myths that he consistently hears within sports science. I asked Andy to discuss everything around fiber typing. Andy and I discuss experience versus expertise. I asked Andy about fiber type transition. I asked Andy what have been the biggest lessons he's learned so far in his life. I asked Andy how does he learn. I asked Andy for his top resource and life advice. I asked Andy for his top and current book recommendations. I asked Andy if he only had one year left on planet Earth, how would he spend that year and why? And finally, I asked Andy the big question. If he could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, who would he invite and why? Guys, this was a great episode, Andy, and I hope you really, really enjoyed rocking and rolling Andy Galpin thank you so much for making time I really appreciate it sir just for the listeners who are not too familiar with who you are which I would imagine will be probably nobody just for listening on your background oh wow so um you know I was a, a college football player so I started that with my my undergraduate degree in exercise science I did a little bit of coaching down in Arizona with Mark Verstegen and his group uh, and I kind of moved on from there. Actually, I spent, uh, I don't know if you know this, buddy, but I used to live in Ireland. Someone said that to me. Yeah, I lived in Galway for six months or something. Wh- why or how? Because fucking Ireland's awesome. That's why. Like, was it part of college or research or? Uh, no, uh, for the most part, it was kind of a weird thing how I was so far ahead academically in, in college. And because I went to a college, meaning the distinction here in the States, at least, is a college is undergraduate only, uh, a university has graduate programs. Mm. So in other words, my university or my, my college did not have any graduate programs. So I was so far ahead academically, but I was playing American football. And so I still had two more years to play football. And so I kind of had to just stay enrolled in the university, but you know, I, I, did, I couldn't keep taking credit hours uh, at the minimum. So it was basically like a study abroad, if you will, where I went over there and took, I think, two classes or something in Irish history class and something else. They were just fucking awesome. And I didn't do anything at all. I just trained and enjoyed Ireland and partied and did all kinds of shit like that. So what, what year was that? 2003 or something like that. Oh man. What was the weather like? Uh, you know, I come from Seattle, uh, which is the Pacific Northwest. I know. Well, I've been to Seattle twice. That's actually my second home. I love Seattle. Yeah. So I loved it, man. Cause it was pretty similar to be honest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, it was great. I mean, I had right down the street, there was a, a stadium and they played hurling and stuff there and, and I had all kinds of places to train. So I, I loved it. It was fine. I mean, I pretty much remember wearing a jacket every single day, but I didn't care. <laughs> I was drinking so much Guinness, I didn't give a shit. And here, did you get yourself an old woman while you were over there? An old Irish woman? Uh, you know, I got to be careful because uh, my, my wife is a few feet away, but um, I enjoyed all of Ireland. Come here, get just one final thing. What were your first thoughts of our, of our Irish games? I love when American people see hurling and football for the first time. Dude, craziness. Craziness. Yeah. I thought, like, you're fucking swinging this bat at each other to this tiny ball, and it was just socially and legally in the game acceptable to just whack the fuck out of each other with those sticks it's, really it, hard it's with actually, limited gear on it's actually not legal but it just looks like that you know you actually do get sent off fuck you it was legal as shit they were doing it <laughs> non-stop and just having the balls in the air and they're jumping for it at the same time some dude was swinging for it i thought it was like a combination for if you let if you let people play hockey but put them on grass uh, where you can just have so much more force and velocity with what you swing yeah but you give them a baseball bat instead 
it was just like, like just fucking insanity. Yeah, I, insanity, so. I, whenever I'm explaining it, I always say it's a hybrid between field hockey, lacrosse, and baseball. Yeah, yeah, that's very fair. But I think the most vicious and violent of all three of those, like not even close. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, so. that's a, that's the sport I played growing up, and uh, I was actually the goalkeeper. And, oh. I, and back and back when I played it, right, we wore no helmets. Ah, oh, yeah. yeah. And that's why you're in the situation you're in now. Yeah, and that's why I'm crazy. Yeah, I was dropped on, dropped on my head many times and hit in the head many times. But yeah. listen, that's a that's a great introduction. So, um, a question I like to ask Andy, all of the guests is the, about their influences. So, who would you say have been the biggest influences on you, both professionally and then personally? Oh boy, um, boy, those are those are good ones. I would say professionally, everything from Alton Brown which is probably a name most people are not familiar with. He had an old TV show called Good Eats. And uh, I, I was not into cooking at all. I'm not into that type of stuff. But I, I was so mesmerized by Alton because of his ability to basically have a show on TV for 12 or 15 years that was hyper popular. And all he did was teach chemistry. Mm. And it looked like a teaching. It looked like a, a cooking show, if you will. But it, uh, he was so good about storytelling, being incredibly concise and having you know this much information but being able to only give the audience these two critical pieces that they needed and he was so good about he didn't just uh give you recipes and then and then basically talk to you while he was cooking he explained to you the chemistry of how it was working he explained to you the process the how the why behind things and then gave you some samples but I felt so empowered because I'm like, oh, I know exactly why it's working and why this isn't working. So I know no substitutes. I can do all these things. It's, it's the basics of if you understand the process, now you can go manipulate when things go wrong or you have to change variables. But again, he did that in 22 minutes. He used such a wide array of pedagogical skills. Uh, and I found that, that that just transferred so well to what I do now as a scientist, as a communicator, as a teacher, as a coach. Uh, those lessons are the same. They're universal. It doesn't matter how you're applying them. So he was a huge influence just because he was so good and so entertaining in storytelling. Uh, so that, that's a really big one. Uh, I mean, personal influences. I'm very, 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 feel very fortunate. My the hometown I grew up in is a very, very small, uh, about 2000 people in it. And the whole community the really that I grew up with, while there's much to dismay about them, I'm just very fortunate. My mother, my father, my grandfather, my high school football coach, all the kids I grew up with, some of the core principles and values they instilled are things that are just completely unacceptable in that, that community and things that are mandatory. I look back now and I realize that very few people had experiences, exposures like that. And I'm, I'm just forever grateful for that because now things that other people have a hard time with, I'm like, I don't know anything different. Uh, and I, I could give you some very specific examples, but yeah, just yeah, things do, like, yeah, do, yeah. just like accountability. Um, I mean, when I grew up stealing and theft was just the lowest thing a human ever could do. Uh, being, I mean, other things more tangentially or more, more specifically, uh, being late or not finishing something because you were tired. Uh, those were the bigger sins, the biggest sin you could ever, ever, ever uh, do. Um, not having responsibility just for the sake of work. It was fine if you lost or didn't perform because of talent or skill or things like that. There was nobody particularly talented or skilled in many areas where I grew up, but um, it just wasn't acceptable, the excuse of I'm tired or I didn't have time. I mean, it didn't matter who you were. That was going to get met with a backhand for sure. 
So I'm just very fortunate things like that. Like my work ethic, I mean, I remember going through my PhD and you have to go through comprehensive exams and it's a week long process and everyone's builds this thing up to be incredibly difficult. And the lore is like, this is the rite of passage, if you will, through your PhD and, and everyone for years, for three years tells you how it's going to be the most difficult thing you've ever done and, and et cetera, et cetera. And I remember doing it being like, that's not even the most difficult thing I've done this year. Like, that's not even that wasn't hard at all i sat in a fucking classroom and took some tests and i got made to look stupid and like whatever i mean i, I worked construction for my dad i worked 75 hour weeks we worked six six twelves uh in construction and when i see 12 hour days in the world of construction that means the fucking shovel is in the ground at 6 a.m it comes out at 12 30 or 12 you got a half an hour break it goes back in at 12 30 it comes out at 6 30 i don't mean a 12 hour day like my alarm clock went off at six and then I finally got to work and I was totally awake for 12 hours. Like, no fucker, like you're working for 12 hours or 14 hours. Uh, we worked like a 22 hour day one time straight through because all hell was breaking loose. Uh, and I, I, did, I did that for, for months on end. So things like that, I'm incredibly grateful for because now what I look, my, I look at my life now and people constantly comment, especially like my wife's family and other stuff about how hard I work. And I'm like, dude, I haven't fucking worked hard in 20 years. I haven't worked hard since I stopped working construction for my dad. Like this is, this is nothing. Um, so just having a culture like that, all those people have influenced me greatly of being just completely responsible for your own shit. And when things don't go right, it's your fault. Um, I'm just, I'm very fortunate. Those are not lessons I had to learn as an adult because I didn't know anything different. So that's sort of a long answer, but I don't, no. that's that's my yeah. answers it's a great answer i I, uh, I definitely wouldn't last fucking long there i steal i'm late all the time so <laughs> I, yeah, no. I, I, I don't steal but i am late a lot actually yeah. my dad uh i mean very famously this is a, a one story but it's very true many 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 times where if you were if you showed up to work 20 25 minutes early you got fired because that's just late like that's way 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 late and like that, that that was very very routine in my hometown Did so, you say early you said 25 minutes early that's right that's that's you're fired for that that's that's not early enough oh that's not early enough that's right oh yeah, yeah. i i thought i thought I, I thought it was like a time manager thing he was like no you could be doing something there like, I thought oh no 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 the opposite like if your shit's not ready to go and so when that that buzzer hits six o'clock it's not that's when we start the warm-up it's not yeah. that's when we start putting your shoes on it's like the buzzer hits six and we're fucking working yeah, yeah. at full capacity there's no warm-up rounds there's no none of this stuff so that shit was what you should have done prior to work yeah. um yeah. so the, the i guess the way that they put that is if i'm paying you ten dollars an hour and the first half an hour you're getting you're going through the motions and you're only at 60 percent, 70 percent, 80 percent, then i'm not getting my money's worth yeah so give me money back and if i have to get my money back i'm fucking firing you because someone else will show up on time ready to go on time and that just is a complete mind shift change so uh, and come here, uh, tell me this uh, how, how are you then at forgiveness uh well it depends um sounds like coming I mean, from that it sounds like coming from that environment is just like boom no forgiveness no i wouldn't say that's true it's just that i would say it's not a forgiveness issue but it's more of um like you're not going to be rewarded for that or you're not going to be like you're not going to be pardoned so for example if someone does that it's like okay you're fired all right see you later like, I'm not going to be spiteful. I'm not going to hate you or not like you. It's just like, yeah. well, no, you're fired. Like, this are the rules. You broke the rules. Like, what? Like, there's no communication. Second chances for sure, of course. But, like, I'm not going to be like, okay, this time, this is a warning. Like, no, those are the rules. Like, yeah. you're done. So I wouldn't say it's a forgiveness issue, but it is like a, if the expectations are extremely clear, 
and you violate the expectations, you have absolutely no fucking room to bitch. Um, Now, I would say that I generally am a lot less interested in forcing the rules on other people. Uh, I'm just very, very good about when the rules are enforced on me like that. So if I'm late to something and somebody says, no, you're out, you don't get to go, you would never hear me bitch and complain. Mm. You'll never hear me be like, well, it's not fair. I'm like, I'm like, I'm very good about being like, well, fuck, okay. Like the rule said 70 miles per hour. I went 72. That sucks. Most people don't get a ticket for that, but I did, but I broke the rules. So just being able to accept that personal responsibility from my end, that doesn't necessarily mean I always enforce it on other people. Um, But I'm able to handle it when people say like, those are the rules you broke them. Yeah. Okay, great. Like, and I'm not going to be a baby about it. Isn't it uh, like anyone who's, 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 used to hear my podcast or hear me speak knows that like i'm fascinated with epigenetics so like i fully appreciate like how the environment shapes an organism so like i'm just like because i'm fascinated with human behavior and like you know so much of it comes from our experiences and uh, and our environment so it's just gas how like everyone's frame of frames of references and experience you know have shaped their perceptions of reality and like you know their their values and priorities so it's just uh yeah and i would say that i am way more empathetic and even my a lot of people in that uh, place made my parents and stuff. I'm way more empathetic and sympathetic than I used to be. Yeah. No doubt. Um, I would say that calm is not the word, but I, I don't take things as nearly as serious as other people do, especially yeah. for my hometown. So I'm like, oh, okay, uh, things don't really affect me. Nothing really gets my blood pressure very high. Um, yeah. with the exception of the things that you want to get your blood pressure high. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get stressed. Like, a, I'm very, it's very hard to get me stressed out. Yeah. Like, very hard to irritate me. So there's there's a saying I I love, and it's uh, if you can control it, you don't have to worry about it, and if you can't control it, don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so right. it's just kind of like you know. The other thing too is like I mean, look, me and you are here on Zoom player on our fucking laptops, and like we're in first world countries, and it's just like you ever hear people are like, oh my laptop broke, or I got a speeding yeah. ticket, and I'm just like, that that's a privileged problem to have. Yeah, like th- those things don't. Um, you know, Ken, I was very fortunate. My high school baseball coach, I, I can't do this justice, but you'll get the idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, he had a huge scar on his, on his face up to his eye. He was a Vietnam vet. And, you know, the hometown I grew up in was not a very rich place at all. We were not affluent. Again, we were a logging, uh, farming community. So most people there were middle class at best, the vast yeah. majority probably being below middle class, myself very much included. I was on food stamps my whole life, a school lunch, all that stuff. But my high school baseball coach, regardless of our situation, would, would basically say that same thing that like, look, you don't, you don't have a bad, you think you have it bad because this happened or whatever, but you don't have a bad And the way he would always say it. And he was kind of one of those, um, those, uh, uh, like Christopher Hitchin types where he could, he could get that next level of ranting, like even Alex Jones types where you're like, what? And he's just Joey Diaz, just hilarious rants. And he would just go and he'd be like, you want to, you want to know what? what uh, hard is you want to know what a bad day is and he would you know list like 50 things but it would be yeah. something like you come home from vietnam war where you carry your friend's guts in your hands and you you know you killed 100 people and you you watch these families get burned to death and you, and you do that you're scarred for life you don't know how to eat you're addicted to heroin you come back you land on american soil then you're told about how a baby killer you are and how awful you are no one will employ you can't find a job you find out your wife left because she's anti-war your, your kids are gone your kids hate you you think you're worse and you're out of dog food it's like, he's like, that's fucking stress. That's a bad day. So like, uh, and you, like when you have that perspective at all times, and I'm, I know that's really morbid and 
No, it's awful. not. No, it's kind of how I say it too. Yeah. You know. <laughs> but the point is, it's like when you have that context and you have people around you that have been through things like that and you have friends that have had these horrible experiences, it's just really hard to think you had a bad day because somebody screwed you out of money or something like it's like, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that sucked. My car broke down and I don't have the money for that, but okay. Like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll handle it. Like, that's not the worst thing that can happen today. And my friend, another mentor, a weightlifting coach for a long time, would always he would just routinely say, if that's the worst thing that happens to me, I'm going to have a pretty good life. Yeah. And, I, that's and, the one I always say. I was, I was like, yeah. you know, so like I always say, if that's the biggest problem in my life, like say like your phone broke yeah. it. It's like, if that's the biggest problem in my life right now, I'm pretty privileged. But like yeah. Yeah, over, over here in Ireland, like you think people will be used to bad weather, but they still just bitch and moan. Just because, <laughs> basically it's because like we get to the under the underlying factor. It's because they don't, they don't know what to do with their lives and they're not fulfilled, no purpose. So to fill that void, they just bitch and moan because it gives them some sense of self-worth. But anyway. Well, like, it's, it's a recalibration of hard. Like they forgot what hard is. Yeah. They forgot what real problems are. I mean, that's something we talked about in the book extensively is uh, this is why I'm an advocate for, for some of these physical challenges is, is we are the first time in a space of humanity where we have to do things. We have to choose suffering. Uh, yeah. We spent our entire existence as a species doing everything we can to minimize suffering. We developed housing, like, we developed we, agriculture to have foods. Yeah. We developed all these culture um, uh, highways and automobiles and clothing to reduce suffering. And now we did it. Oops. And then we're like, fu- and then we're fucked. Yeah, like it's so funny. We actually have to go to these buildings to do work. We actually have yeah. to like, we actually have to do like force by distance now. <laughs> like well, we, yeah, like we're everything we, is temperature controlled, so we don't ever get hot. We never get cold again. And so it's, we're just at the place where it's really important where we learn to choose suffering a little bit, and because we forgot what really hard is. And I actually like people to what I always recommend here is people go back and listen to this guy, this historian, or he's not a historian, but he's a storyteller, uh, Dan Carlin. Oh yeah, hardcore history. Yeah, we all know if that. If you go back, listen to those those World War One and World War Two oh, episodes. World War One is disgusting. Man. The stories of World War One trench leg and ah, oh, okay, what a that's, fucking pointless war, man. Yeah, but that's our that's our, that, those are things our grandparents endured. Mine, mine yeah. didn't personally, but I know. Well, what like you get the point though, right? Like it's not like these people six hundred years ago or these ancient people, these ancient hominids. These are people that are you know probably some of them, a few of them still alive today that endured, like, I lived in a mud puddle for three months. Like, what? Yeah, like, I lived frozen and cold for two, like, things like this, and then it, it becomes very difficult for you to complain about how your blood sugar is low because you haven't had lunch today. It's like, what? This dude lived on berries for, for six months and rotting meat and ate flour out of a bag. Like, what are you fucking talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so things like that, and, and the, the stories he tells in there about what people can actually physically endure, and again, these are your parents. These are your grandparents. So this is something within absolutely your physical capabilities. That's how much further you can handle and you can struggle and you can survive. You're just fortunate you didn't have to do it. You just, the flip of the coin landed right and your parents had to do it and you didn't. And you never know, we could be back there really, 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 really fast. So that's really suffering. That's really ability. That's really tired. Um, It's like, oh, I'm so tired. I've I've been working so hard. Like, really? (laughs) How about living in a place where there's 125,000 artillery shells flying over your head daily? Yeah, it's funny. Shell shock. I often, I've often used that sort of analogy with some of the athletes I used to train where, you know, like, listen, we all know the importance of recovery generation, but there are times where like they do need to harden up a bit and they're like, should we really like train tomorrow? And I'd be like, guys, do me a favor, go home, right? Go onto YouTube, 
and type in World War Two and just watch a few of those videos and uh, believe me, you'll be fine. And I always, I always used to tell them this story. There was one story from the Pacific War when America were fighting the Japanese and there's this famous story of these two Americans and they're in this bunker and one lad had his hands blown off but he, had, he still had his eyes intact. Well, the other lad had his hands, but his eyes were gone. <laughs> and, the t- and the two lads were in a bunker. So the guy with the arms, right, he was controlling the shotgun. And the guys with, with the no arms, the eyes, was telling him where to shoot. And this was at, like, nighttime, so they couldn't see. But they could see, like, the Japs were coming in. So they just kept fucking firing bullets and whatnot. And when the morning time came around, the guys, like, got out of the bunker. And, like, they just absolutely demolished, like, hundreds of Japanese with the gun. Like, and your man there with no hands and your man with no eyes. And the two of them did it together. I'm just like... Yeah, I think uh, I don't think I'll ever have a day uh, quite like they just had. Like, you know what I mean? You know, yeah. No food, no sleep, just fucking. Oh my god, stories. Exactly, are- exactly. And again, these are real people. <laughs> these are not characters. This is not a comic book. It's not television. These are real people that were alive uh, a few decades ago. So, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. This is what you're capable of. One thing I will say on that though is I, I can appreciate someone you know coming from a background of being in a war, but. You still do get like people from, let's say, probably our grandparents' generation who just they just throw suffering in your face, and you're just yeah. and you're just like, yeah, I, I didn't like I, I'm not forcing you to do any of that shit. You know what I mean? They play a victimized role, which is horseshit as well. Like, which is stuff that they need to sort out, and they just project it onto you. Like, so like yeah. I don't I don't think that's a good virtue to have either, though. Just to balance out what we're talking about. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, yeah. I mean, like we sort of talk, I think we we're talking about this off air about um. No, we, I, get, I get questions all the time about my, my daily habits, my morning routines and things like that. And I, I happen to wake up very, very early. Brushing your hair is clearly not one of them anyway. <laughs> but like, I'm very, 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 very much with you. I don't think that is a virtue at all. Like, yeah. Who cares? Whether, if you're working 16 hours a day or 12 hours a day, or what, whether that 12 hours starts at noon or that starts at 4 a.m., it doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't make you any tougher yeah. or working any harder or more deserving. And so, yes, I'm agreeing. Like, just because you choose to, to do those things, I just, my point with really the suffering comment is, I know, I know, I know, it's important yeah. that we recalibrate what that stuff is. Yeah. A lot of stuff. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't subscribe to any of those things that I work this many hours uh, or I, I always work Friday nights or I, I don't care. Like, <laughs> I don't care at all when you choose to work. It doesn't make you any more productive or work out. The thing that always used to kill me about, even when I was a college football player, about you hear people like, oh, I get up at 5 a.m. every day and, and lift. I'm working so hard. I'm like, really? I slept till 10 and I had a way better workout because I worked out at noon. And uh, it's like you had a crappy workout because you barely went through the motions because you woke up at 5 a.m. like yeah. a fucking idiot. Yeah. Uh, I deal with that a lot of time with my boxers. I work with uh, a lot of professional boxers now, especially the Mexicans. They're just like, that's just in there. Like, Oh, I get up at five. And I'm like, no, you fucking, you trained till midnight last night. Do not get up at five and go for a three mile jog. That is stupid. Like yeah. do not do that. Yeah. But you know, got to get past it somehow. Oh, no. All right. So, uh, let's move into our next question. That was good. I, I love those sort of chats. They're great. Um, what would you say are the, the good and the not so good things that you currently see within the sports science and sports preparation professions? And then when you get into the not so good things, what sort of solutions would you offer? So kind of another way I've been wording that lately is, you know, what makes you proud to be in our profession? And then what makes you not so proud? And with the not so proud things, like what solutions would you offer up? Oh boy. Um, you, can go yeah, that's a lot. you can go to town on this now. <laughs> so I think the things that are awesome is, you know, my generation of people in the strength conditioning community, I mean, we grew up, I made a post about this, I think just yesterday. Uh, like there was no fucking YouTube when I was in school, 
No, no. Like just yeah. YouTube alone. Like there, there, there wasn't any of these things. So like you'd have had no access to information. And, and this is oh, fucking critical. cell phones when we were growing up, man. I used to have to, ring, mean, used to, have to ring the house phone. Is, is Andy there? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't even have, uh, my wife and I have only been dating seven years or something. And I didn't even have a smartphone when we were together. That's gas. For the first handful of years. So I think that is one of the things and specifically about that, you have people like Joe Ken and Brian Mann and Cal Dietz that are these very, very high level strength and conditioning coaches and they're sharing the hell out of their information. Yeah. I think this is incredibly valuable. Even what like your, some of your mentors have done um, with Eric Cressy and like, do you know how much gold Eric Cressy has put up on his website for free the last 10 years? Man, he is a fucking production machine. Like it's insane. 2003, he started blogging and he's still consistent. He's a machine. I've met the man and he's just a fucking machine. And his stuff is so, so good. Unbelievable. Um, I was talking, I just, I was up with a guy, Ben Bruno. I know, I know Ben, Ben knows me. We, we've met, I've met Ben before. We, we, yeah. yeah. Just a great guy. And, and he was, you know, he's, he was like, I think I've read, I think I've written 150 articles for T nation or something. Yeah. Uh, Brett Contreras, like Brad Schoenfeld, all these people that you see is like high watermark guys, Mike Boyle, they produced so much and continue to produce so much content for free. It's just insane. If you took just those five guys alone, Greg Knuckles, whatever. what about yeah. Greg Knuckles? Holy footballs. Mike, just, is, Mike is Rattel. Yeah, sure. Just take what those guys wrote, put it all together, read all that stuff. You probably learn more than your entire uh, college education for the most part. Yeah. So I think that is the shining thing. And the point I'm getting about all that stuff is the thing that makes me the most proud about this industry is by far in general, even the highest level people are completely willing to share all their stuff for free. It is not a like good boy inside secretive club at all. I'm just, I mean, you hear that sometimes, but it's so common for people to just be like, I, I ringed up this guy. I went there and I job shadowed and he just, and she gave me everything she knows. Whatever. Like, like that's a very, very common thing. If you go to conferences or you intern or job shadow or things like this, people are just very, very genuine in this field. And they typically share stuff that in other fields, people would be monetizing exclusively. So I think that that's something that I'm daily I'm proud of. I'm like, man, that's really awesome. I really, really like it when really well-established people. I mean, you should monetize some of your stuff. Don't get me wrong, but uh, just give, give their stuff away and they help young people and they're not secretive and they help each other. Um, yeah. Coaches, high level coaches will go shadow each other's places and talk to each other. And, and that collaborative effort, I think is something I'm very, very proud of in the world for sure. Definitely. What about the not so, not so good, not so proud? Oh boy. Um, I hate complaining about things. I, especially if you don't have a solution, which is why I like you way you worded that. It's like, yeah, but you gotta have the solution here. Don't just complain oh, about things. Uh, you hang around me, but you'll, you'll hear a lot of that. But what's your solution? And then they don't know what to say. And you're like, well then shut the fuck up. Yeah. I hate that. I hate that. <laughs> I hate that. Um, I don't know. A couple of things I would say is I could probably, if I thought about this, have better answers for you. But the first, uh, two things jump out. Number one is, um, the social media with young coaches. Mm. I don't think you should be trying to build your brand uh, when you're young. I don't think like, you should be like those 19 year old life coaches. I can be your life coach. It's like you're a fucking teenager. Yeah. Or 22 or 25. Like I, I, I really, really don't think you should do those things. Again, if you look back at all those people we just named, they all got super famous, if you will, 
within the strength conditioning community because they produced a shit ton of good results. The athletes were coming out by the droves. The clients were coming out by the hundreds. The articles were coming out and they were very, very, they produced a ton. The ever, you know, Brett Contreras had written 200 lit reviews and just phenomenal research-based articles had trained thousands of clients before he ever made a single glute, you know, glute guy Instagram post. Mm. Like he didn't get famous because of Instagram. Now Instagram happened to take off and it's the fucking perfect platform for him. Yeah, yeah. My point is, I know who the hell he was. You know who Brett Contreras was probably before Instagram. I mean, Brett Contreras was speaking at national conferences before Instagram. Yeah. So this is my point is, is the younger people, um, I think you're misconstrued about how Brad Schoenfeld got famous. Um, you're misconstrued about how some of these other, I mean, look at, like, well, Boyle's a great example. I don't know how many Instagram followers he has, but not very many. Not many. As Mike jokes about, jokes about he was a 20-year overnight success. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. All, and all of them were. And so I would say to the young coaches, shut the fuck up. Like, I'm, I'm actually very fortunate that social media wasn't really around when I was growing up because I wasn't, I would have been the same person, like posting yeah. my shit, telling everyone about how if you're not doing weightlifting, you know, if you're not snatching, cleaning, drinking all day. And I specifically would have said Mike Boyle's a fucking idiot, you know, all those things. So I'm just, I'm, just, I'm not different than you. I'm just lucky that I didn't have Facebook and Instagram back then. But until you've produced, a lot of things don't don't talk like don't don't put yourself out there i would just sit back continue to learn keep following and, and then when you have something and you're ready and you have an expertise a true expertise um then you can go out and market yourself and try to sell online programs or whatever you're going to do but that to me is is a hard thing um that i think like ah oh, god i wish we could stop this right now is is people really need to focus more on getting really 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 good before they get going um I actually just had like a Twitter exchange with Emily Schramm about this. And, and I love Emily. And she was saying the same thing. She's just like, look, people really need to develop an expertise and an education base and things before they go out and start marketing themselves as experts um, in particular areas. And this is, it's just too easy to see the holes there and, and get shot down. And, and I would fundamentally agree. So uh, that's one of the two things I think could be improved. Yeah. yeah. There, there are a few exceptions, not exceptions, but, I have seen some guys who who now are very established and have facilities, but they got like they got very prominent. So like I'll say a few names. So like like and these these lads are I know them on their world perspective. But if you look at like Cressy and Robertson, like they were writing tons of articles when they were like twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? So and, and writing it as if they were experts at the time. No, they are experts now. Like, but but like, and, and I'm not saying this in a bad way. I'm saying it, it almost was a good thing. It, it kind of gave them a little more establishment and brought their name out, and then it allowed them then to generate more revenue and open up facilities for themselves. And yeah, they, but so here's the critical difference. Look at the quality of the articles they were writing. True, no, 21. true, true. Yeah, I, I'm fucking not, incredible. Yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. incredible. Like this is why Eric Cressy got so big so fast. Because he was like when the things he was saying, even as a, a undergraduate student, yeah, uh, and and starting as a master's, I, people were like, "What the fuck?" Fuck yeah, 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 that's very true. Like, like that's the major, major difference. Is that guy had a real, true, exceptional talent. Yeah, he's like um, fucking Eric Otter. You know, Eric Otter. He's like he's in the NBA, but he interned under like Bill Bill Hartman. And he's like only in his mid to late twenties, and like apparently he's a genius. Yeah. So, but and I'm also I will always say if you're going to start with one medium, writing is the one. Yeah, uh, because you're able to truly express and organize and reference and, and really clarify your point. And again, if you look at the content he was creating, 
it wasn't just like, hey, here are my three ways to increase no, you're right. size. Yeah. I, and like, same, it was like same with Mike. really intricate, really high level shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like even there, they brought that building the efficient athlete DVD out. I remember that. Like that was fucking phenomenal. Like at the, when that came out, that was like a groundbreaking product, you know. And it's yeah. funny. It's funny you actually even mentioned like the quality of his work because I can remember it was Mike Boyle's um, the, uh, design and program DVD. And uh, Eric Cressy was, was actually in the audience at the time, and Mike was like, Yo, Eric wrote this article, uh, Construction by Adduction. It's a, it was an amazing article. Like, I'm just like, fuck it. Like, you know, that's, yeah. like, that's going back to 2006. So, yeah, he's the, 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 the quality content he's putting out was exceptional. Yeah, he, writing is something that um, peers will always appreciate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, Instagram posts, Facebook posts, like videos, like YouTube videos. No one is going to, like, <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't catch my attention like yeah. something really well written then i'm like that that's much more likely to get you credentials for yeah you. big time big time um okay let's get into i know we said fiber types but uh i think a question i want to ask is you know give us a sort of overview of the biggest myths you continuously hear in exercise science so you're like this needs to be put to bed <sighs> That's but a really you, tough one. You can, you know, if you want, you can just go overview and, and it's up to yourself and how deep you want to go in. And if you want to pick one, you can. Well, what I would say is, and we can talk as much or as little about this as you want. Up to you, bud. Epistemology in general is Ex- something. Expl- that, explain that now for the listeners. Cause that's a big word. Uh, epistemology. Sorry, strength coaches. Um, it's just a study of knowledge. Yeah. Okay. So, what I mean, well, the reason why I said that is I want to set this foundation before I even talk about fiber type or anything Perfect. like that or other Perfect. myths, because uh, the biggest myth of all is the fundamental misunderstanding of epistemology. And, and specifically what I mean by there is the understanding of knowledge and truth and wisdom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is truly it. So the, it's what often is referred to as the fallacy of black and white, or just the idea that there is a right answer. This is the biggest myth of them all that I continually see. Uh, in fact, this is explains 99% of disagreement in the field is thinking that there is a right answer. There can be, and there's sometimes more right than less right, but to think that we really have knowledge and absolute certainty is completely misguided. Yeah. We have to complete, continually remind ourselves that in the biological world, there's almost nothing that we know to be true. I mean, you could take something as... I was, my head's kind of in this right now and I don't want to go too much down this road because it's kind of off topic, but uh, even something like gender, if you think it's as simple as, as chromosomes, like just go look into that more. It's not that simple either. It's not DNA. It's not just standard. Like it, it's extremely difficult. We still don't know what male versus female really biologically is. Man, it's, it's so funny you mentioned it. And I know the, the, the listeners won't see this, but you're wearing on video here because I'm reading this book by Nick Lane and it's fucking it's uh, so the vital question so uh why life is the way it is i'm just finishing now but like he's talking so much about like you know it's about like how fucking eukaryote cells came to be from prokaryote and all that stuff but he's just talking so much about that like in terms of like just dna and chromosome and like it's really he's just like what the fuck so then if you go up there from back to something more than on the lines of our world it's very 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 difficult for me even in exercise science to say yeah, that's absolutely true. That's completely false. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we can do that gener- as speaking in general terms. Like, I'm pretty sure it's true for most people to have two legs. 
Like that's something I'm pretty confident in saying the human is supposed to have two arms, two legs. Okay. So there's a certain amount of things we can say are pretty true. Yeah. When it comes to training, nutrition, and a bunch of other questions, it's almost, I mean, percentage wise, it's, it's a hundred percent. Great. We don't know. Um, there's some things at the very, very end, but the numbers are so small and the things that we absolutely know for certain relative to the things that we don't know, it's very, very, very difficult. And so I even, I hate the myth busting thing because I'm like, to, to bust a myth, that means I have to know the right answer. And I'm yeah. not sure ever that something is completely true because what generally happens is we run into waves. Yeah. So something's true, then it's not true. Then it's true again, then it's not true again. So what makes what gives you the arrogance to think that you're at the final end of that road and not just somewhere in the middle? Mm-hmm. Like m- most things live on a spectrum. And as you said, we, we can't be certain of anything because, you know, once you get down to like the quantum level, all we have is probability. For sure. That's where it gets even even more fuckery, right? Like, yeah, yeah, you, you don't even know. Uh, I mean, gravity. Like, I'm not even sure. I'm not me. Like, but apparently, we're not even sure really how gravity works, and it just happens to be explaining things pretty well right now. But that's maybe not even necessarily true. So if we don't know what fuck gravity is, like, how can we really say like, oh, this is a better way to train, or this is? I don't know. Like, I really, really don't know. Uh, we just have to make our best guesses and, and go forward. And I mean, I could sort of give you the spiel about fiber types if you really want if you're interested but um i'm fucking I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm i'm still interested but uh yeah it's just so funny because that's that's kind of where my headspace has been like it's just like it's funny is it the more we the, it's an old saying the more the more we learn the less we realize we know you know i, I always i always say to people too like i know enough to know that i know fuck all <laughs> <laughs> pretty much man so, uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to get into the, fi- I know fiber types of physiology of fat, they've been sort of things you've been, you've been, um, you've lectured on and spoke about at length, um, in other places and resources. And I'll definitely link to the YouTube videos. Uh, you do a fantastic uh, resource in terms of your podcast and the YouTube videos you put out. I love the way you do like the kind of real, the sh- like, it's so funny. We were speaking kind of about younger generations and I know we, di- I know we didn't use the term instant gratification, but that's kind of what it is nowadays. And like everyone yeah. just wants, everyone just wants now give me the sound bite. And it's like, so you were like, okay. I do a five minute video, then I do like a medium length one, and then I give you the big fuck off series, and it's up to you which one you want. So, yeah, yeah listen, because uh, what I'm trying to do a better job of my podcast is like, because like I'm just such a fucking universal human. Like, I could just, we could be talking about fucking organic farming one minute, and then we'd be talking about like our shit, you know, the next minute, and then we're talking about like what happens when we were kids, and then we're back to deadlifting all of a sudden. So, I can swing things like that. But I'm trying to have a little more topic based. So, Maybe I yeah, would just stick to the fiber type because, I mean, we can always do two and three and, you know, part four and five and six, whatever, you know, we can always do another podcast at some stage in the future to cover another topic. But yeah, the fiber type thing, I think, is interesting. If, if that's where you want to go, you're, it's also, this is your show just as much as mine. Yeah, whatever, buddy. It's uh, up to you. Yeah, we should go for it. So, so, like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'll just give you a touch of background here for... I've got a, a very lengthy YouTube video of this. So go check this out. Three, three parts. Yeah, I think it's two and a half hours or something like this. And uh, we've got some papers coming out pretty soon. Did you do that all in one go, by the way? Probably. Man, you were standing for a long time. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, I think I had to probably hit stop a couple of times because my recorder doesn't, maybe didn't hit there, but I don't stop and take breaks. It's, it there certainly was. was maybe like a couple of minutes break, but you, man, I teach three hour classes. So I'm used to just going for three hours. That's and plus, as you alluded to the start of this podcast, you're a hearty bastard. <laughs> yeah, man. Like again, that, dude, I had, I used to have to the do shovel. Ball. The shovel comes back to fucking to, to serve you well. Dude, fuck man. When I started in construction, we had to do uh, flagging. 
what the fuck is that well you stand there and you hold the the sign that says like stop or go you know oh my fucking god dude you stand on concrete you just stand all fucking day there's no sitting there's no it's you just stand all day for fucking 12 hours 14 hours you're standing six days a week standing on concrete that is zen buddhism like where you want to be where, where you want to be able to tap into that shit dude i would i was constantly telling the people i'm like dude i will take a pay cut to go shovel like i'll fucking what do you want me to do pour the concrete like i'll i'll, I'll you can take half my pay like i don't even care just get me the fuck out of here it was the worst those guys that do that job like who do the like you know the go and stop and flip around they do look miserable all the time Oh yeah, dude, it's horrible. And you got to wear a hard hat. And it's the stupidest fucking thing. And it's either <laughs> raining on you or it's thirty-five degrees out. Like it's fucking terrible. Um. Anyway, so yeah, the my point is in that video you can hear you can hear the the you can trace back the history of all this stuff. But when we first started discovering that there were different fiber types, and most people recognize there's fast twitch and slow twitch. The next question, at least from uh, the people like with brains like ours is okay well can we change those things with training yeah and we eventually started to figure out hey it looks like people that are in power-based strength-based sports have more of these fast twitch and people that are in these aerobic based endurance sports are more slow twitch but that didn't necessarily get at the question of okay well can you change them this was always now well are people just self-selecting power sports because they have more fiber types and for about 30 years the consensus was no you cannot change them or there was at least confusion on the topic mm. uh, so now the last 20 years and this is not groundbreaking people have just given me so much more credit than i deserve in this field because this question has actually been resolved very very clearly since 1990 uh, so that's, a, that's almost 30 years now certainly by 94 the case was completely closed but it's, it's it's it goes without question now that you can change your fiber type with exercise and it really is very specific and also non-specific at the same time. So what really actually happens is there is not just fast and slow. There's slow and that's type one and there's fast and that's two a, and uh, there's these ultra mega fast and those are two X fibers. Now, if you want, again, if you're wondering like why it's one, two a two X and this order is sort of weird. Yeah. That's all in the video as well, but just follow, follow with me. So super slow one fast two a and, mega fast 2x well for years we were always sort of confused and then uh for through the, about the 1990s we were told that if you have 2x fibers and you start exercising they convert to 2a and if you don't exercise they go back well that was all well and good and true until we realized uh in 1994 and certainly by 2000 it was cemented very very clearly that humans actually don't really possess the 2x at all it's extremely rare. I have biopsied, I don't know how many hundreds of athletes. Uh, we have isolated probably 25 or 30,000 individual muscle fibers at this point in my career. And we've only found a couple of these pure 2X fibers. It's exceedingly rare uh, to have them in you. So what happens is what we were calling 2X fibers are, are really misca uh, misclassified. They're actually what are called 2A, 2X. So these are hybrid fibers. So these are in single muscle fibers. It's a single cell that is both part 2A fast and 2X super fast. And so we realized there are these hybrid fibers. There's one 2A, so slow, fast twitch. And there's even some that are called one 2A, 2X. So these are th all three fiber types in the same cell. 
In fact, this is, we haven't told anybody this, but we're, we're going to have some stuff coming out very soon where we're finding some one, two X ones. So these are a slow mega fast, but no fast switch uh, in a very, very, very specific part of the muscle um, of certain people. Wow. And I can't tell you the answer to that. We'll have to come back uh, maybe in a year or something, but that'll be uh, something we'll be dropping on the world pretty soon. Get you so the point is uh, those, what people thought were two X's were actually two A two X's and the two A two X's do behave exactly like we were told and such that if you become untrained, the two A's convert to two A two X. And if you do virtually any type of exercise, the two A two X convert to two A. And so it's not like they were entirely off base what they were saying earlier. It was just, it's a slight uh, sort of nomenclature. Mm. What we actually happens is those hybrid fibers. So both the slow, uh, you know, a fiber that's either half fast, half slow or half fast, half mega fast. It doesn't really matter. Um, if you train basically anything, they go down. If you do say strength training or anaerobic power stuff, uh, most of those will convert to two-way. If you do more steady state endurance conditioning, uh, a lot of those will convert to type one. And so we've seen very clear evidence. Uh, hopefully now we can end the discussion about whether or not you change fiber type. That's honestly fucking rudimentary. Like it, it's, it's beyond annoying when people still question that. It's like you haven't looked at anything in the last 25 years. That's how fucking far behind you are. The later thing has been, well, okay, you don't add slow twitch fibers. And I will grant you it is much more difficult to increase slow twitch quantities. But uh, we have a paper just out in the last month or so that it, um, I could go over if you want, but it shows very, very clearly you can increase slow twitch fiber concentrations extensively. So um, it goes both directions. Your training, everything you do training-wise, it happens in a matter of weeks. You can change fiber type you know, in a couple of weeks. And even some more groundbreaking evidence, not in human, um, but past will get there, it can even show things like nutrition can alter your fiber type composition. Mm -hmm. So just like when I started this off by saying like epistemology is everything, we thought for sure we knew the answer for 30 years until we improved our technology. Yeah. And once we got realizing that we were looking at the wrong thing, the answer completely did a 180. And now it's doing such 180 that as we continue to enhance our technology and we have some, some recent stuff that our lab is the first to ever do, we realize that not only can you change your fiber type, but it happens almost instantaneously and it happens in response to fucking everything. So <laughs> this is why it's critical. I, and I and put it this way, I'm completely confident that I'm still wrong as shit about this. Mm. And in 20 years, I'm going to come back and be like, oh, okay, this was wrong. This, I, I just don't know because I'm limited by my current technology, which is a lot better than what any other lab is using. But I still have to realize if I was wrong 20 years ago and then 20 years before that, they're wrong. And 20 years before that, they're wrong. There's no fucking way that in 20 years from now that I'm not going to be wrong right now. So that's kind of the open dump about fiber type. And I don't know what else you want to talk about. But no, it's great. Uh, and listen, uh, a very good uh, friend of mine, James Smith, the tinker, he, uh, he's a regular guest on my podcast. And I mean, he always talks about you know the 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 sort of the main limiting factor for like everything that we do is just knowledge and he's just he's, he always talks about this concept of new knowledge is is yeah. like a crucial thing to consider when we're having a discussion on what we believe to be truth because he's like if new knowledge comes into creation 
well then it makes anything that came before it null and void so that's why james is a big proponent of experience does not equal expertise because he's like if new knowledge he's like if new knowledge comes into creation he's like your frame of reference of where your experience was but your expertise is based off in terms of yours in terms of your experience means nothing now because new knowledge has has come into creation yeah you asked her at the very beginning of the podcast some of the people that influenced me carl sagan oh yeah legend i mean i bring this up all the time we did an episode about this on my podcast uh, where we talk about the difference between authority versus an expert mm. and this is very very critically important it is very similar to what you're bringing up and so won't believe the point but yes it's extremely important we differentiate between an authority and an expert yeah yeah and carl sagan does that uh, a book i would recommend for people would be demon haunted world it's like 35 years old now or something but it's really a book about how to 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 use and understand science Mm. and this is a great he he brings up a lot of really interesting and, and it's very fun to read um is but, it Sagan yeah. that is it Sagan that came out with the baloney kid? Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um just uh, going off that too, in terms of, you know, you said like the fact now like that technology has improved where it was 25, 30 years ago, you know, it's helped us advance advance our knowledge in terms of uh, our discussion here on fiber types. This is why too, like it's critical that we appreciate uh, practice-based evidence as well as evidence-based practice because you get these people yeah. who are saying evidence yeah. ba- you know, the evidence-based practice people say, well there's no research back there's none of this and then you get people who are practitioners in the field are like yeah but I'm just saying this is what I'm saying okay we know that like observation is not like is, is not like the, 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 the greatest foundation to you know try to, to come to a come to a truth in something because obviously it's very mm. subjective but just just the fact that we know that technology and new knowledge that technology will improve and that more than likely new knowledge is going to come into creation because again like, just like there's so much we don't know there's so much left to learn in the universe that like to disregard practice-based evidence and only consider evidence-based practice really is 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 folly to be honest i would agree in fact i would i almost joke and i'm, I'm i think i'm pretty much past the point of joking now i think it's actually almost i have a phd in human bioenergetics and i'm almost certain now that i think i wish we could eliminate any knowledge of energy systems from every strength conditioning coach man i think it is i'm just so convinced now it it does far more harm than it does good we haven't a fucking clue and it's just like we, we okay i know you learned about like pcr and glycolytic and analogs, like but, but but just use your coaching brain Yes. Because it actually is going to get you far closer to doing the right thing with your athlete than these stupid fucking energy systems. Are you familiar um, with James Fitzgerald? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, like when Fitzy talks about energy systems, like I remember like I learned energy systems like, and in fairness, Joel, Joel Jameson helped me understand them just like kind of from more of a basic standpoint. And mm-hmm. then I was thinking, oh, I've got, you know, I've got, you know, I know, you know, A-lactic, galactic, aerobic, and blah, blah. And then like when I met James Fitzgerald, like James was like, yes, but like, what if a person can produce power to actually make it alactic? And I was like, oh, fuck. I actually don't know. He's like, what's this really working now? I was like, I don't know. And he's like, see, you're fucked. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I love Joel. I'm really good friends with Joel too. He's, he's fantastic. But I mean, <laughs> it's the same thing. It's another good example of, I just, I think about what you actually need your athlete to be able to execute. And that is much more important than the physiology behind that in, in this particular case, because most people's understanding is it's like, oh, there's anaerobic and anaerobic, or there's anaerobic and aerobic. That's not at all how it works. That's not even yeah. close. Yeah. 
oh, there's lactate in the middle. No, like you're, you're just so far off. I think that you either need to spend six years studying it or just forget fucking all of it and go back and think, what do I need my athlete to be able to execute? Okay, let's build a well-rounded, resilient athlete. Uh, and Man, I think another, that's going to be much more helpful. Another, another guy who's fucking deep, I mean deep down the fucking energy system rabbit hole is a guy called Aaron Davis from Train Adaptive Of. I had him on the podcast. Mm. And uh, like he, he's done a ton of stuff with the Moxie unit and all. It's just like he wanted, he was talking and I was just there on the podcast going, I am fucking lost. <laughs> I would actually, there's a guy, Rob Wilson. Yeah, 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 I know the name. Um, he's, I don't know if it's officially out yet. So who I might be spoiling, uh, the, the bid here, but the way that they have engineered this stuff, um, I think is by far the best I have ever seen. There's, they have basically four gears. I think they call them, um, based on what you have to do mechanically and with your breathing patterns that are going to mm. give you more insight. And we're actually run some pilot stuff in our lab on this. And it shakes out way better than anything else. I wow. think it's available on powerspeedendurance.com. Is he good mates with Brian? Yeah, 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 yeah. They work together. He they did the breathing stuff together. And all, didn't they? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's beautiful. He sent me the whole, uh, some of the stuff, the, the, the big, big burnout. And I went through a lot of it and it's really, really sharp. I think this is clearly going to be game changer. Yeah. And it, well, more importantly, it's going to outsource the need to do stuff like heart rate. Yeah. Um, you're going to obviously see my position. We're sort of short on time now, but uh, you know, the book our own book that we have out there describes clearly my, the problems with using things like heart rate based training. And I think this stuff is going to be a much better solution because it is immediately personalized and it is immediately re- reflective of what the system is actually doing as opposed to one part of the system. And, yeah. and I think this is just far better. And so this is, this is the part of the field that I like a lot and we're getting a lot better at when we can properly use technology and not improperly use it. So Sweet. we're getting there, man. Yeah. I won't keep you too much longer. Just, um, one more question, final question I have on the fire type, and then I have some quick fire ones and you can just rattle them sure. off. And if you yeah. need to, if you need to go, just say, listen, I got to go. Um, just with the fiber typing, because I know this is a question some people have, is it easier to transition from one end of the spectrum to the other? So is it easier to go from fast to more intermediate to slow than it is from slow to in, more intermediate to fast? Well, this is actually... So first of all, with the exception of about three or four people in the world, don't listen to anybody's answer on this. Okay. Besides mine. And I, I, I've been, probably never said something so arrogant in my life, but I'm, I'm just promising you, if they don't understand this whole spectrum, it's very, very confusing. Yeah. So yeah. for example, the whole spectrum is slow all the way to fast. Okay, so if you went from a, a, a hybrid, slow twitch, fast twitch, so it's half fast, half slow. Mm-hmm. If you took that thing and converted that thing to a fast twitch, that is a slow to fast conversion, right? Yeah. But if you took a 2A to X fiber and converted it to a 2A fiber, that is a fast to slow conversion. Yeah. But you actually created a fast twitch fiber. Yeah, I know what you're saying. See what I'm saying here? Yeah. So you took a, a, a half fast, half mega fast fiber and converted it to a fast twitch fiber so you've gone in the direction of fastest to slow. So that is a fast to slow conversion. But in that process, you created a fast twitch fiber. So, so this is what I'm saying. Like, if you don't really know this whole fucking field, don't say this because 
on its surface, you could say that is a fast to slow conversion. Yeah. But in reality, like, no, you got faster. You got more powerful. You got stronger. So it, it depends on how you want to play the word game here. Yeah. But uh, the question is, is very clear. Um, it's, we see the hybrids are much more plastic. So the hybrid fibers, the 12As or the 282Xs, yeah. or the 1282Xs, they change very, very, very quickly. No question. The 2A fibers also seem to be tremendously plastic. The type 1s seem to be the most rigid. Um, so they can change. They just need a little bit more exposure. Having said that, there's just very, very little research in this field. Very little. Right. So the, the, the bigger answer is I'm not entirely sure. Let me get back to you in 10 years. Um, but I would say it's fair to say the type 1s have a little bit less plasticity, but they're still plastic. So they nope. can change. I won't be here in 10 years. I'm going, I'm going tomorrow. When Elon Musk gets us out of here, I'm fucking I'm gone. Nice, buddy. <laughs> right, so we'll wrap up with some uh, quick fires here. What would you say have been the biggest lessons you've learned so far in your life? Now, I know you gave us some of your life lessons from your upbringing, but maybe, you know, is there anything else, any like big kind of changing points in your life or you know, anything you've changed your mind on a lot over the last Yeah, year? man, I could give you a hundred here. Uh, I know you said you, got, you became more empathetic uh, over the years. Yeah, for sure. The biggest thing I would say is I have to credit my friends, Doug Larson and Mike Bledsoe. I fucking, but those guys are fucking great. I must get yeah. the chance to speak to them. Barbell Shrugged and uh, now Shrugged Collective. But they, um, they brought me down one time to this company retreat that they were doing and they had a speaker come in and, and it's pretty famous now, but what people describe being a, the difference between being a learner versus a knower. Mm-hmm. And uh, Carol... Dweck, I think, or something. I, I can't remember. Did she write the book Mindset? I think so. That's Carol Dweck. Yeah, I think she's the one that pioneered this, but I don't know. Growth gro- versus fixed mindset. It's a very similar idea. Yeah. Yeah, very similar idea. So that is, I was absolutely a knower for a long, and this is, I think, just generally part of being more mature and getting older. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, changing to being a learner mindset in as much has, has fundamentally changed every aspect or a lot of many aspects of my life. So that is a, that's a big one. What would your top resource be to any human being? And this resource could be anything. Could be, could be the fucking, the Bible, the Quran. I don't give a fuck. Or it could be a course, a person or a podcast or anything. One, one thing that you think would, would I'm going to have to go the opposite direction here. I would say it's going to be super annoying to people, but I would say the biggest resource is listening to your own physiology. Beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Uh, this is something I cover extensively in the book and this is a part of it, but this is to me by far with all the noise and the, the internet telling you about how you should do these things. And this is what works. Everyone is so individualized, but people have no idea of how to figure that out. It is far faster and more effective to figure out what your body is telling you than it is to read what someone else is saying that they saw somebody else doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, why not go with the, 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 the direct source, which is your body? Yeah. Great answer. How do you learn? How do I learn or how do people learn? How do you learn specifically? What's your learning style? Uh, generally fuck up a whole bunch of times and then actually figure <laughs> it out. Yeah, I love it. I love it. That's the best way to fucking learn. But I, yeah, I mean, man. like, so like uh, to give more context to that, like, so if I'm trying to like get into a topic, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll read up on the topic I'll usually look for experts in the topic and I'll go for interviews on them, video interviews, read books they've written. And then I will usually try and teach the material to someone. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's all pretty, 
standard, you're gonna have a hard time finding people that will argue with that. Uh, for me personally, the way that I teach is the way that I learn. This is almost also true yeah. for every single person. What you don't realize is this is actually helpful and harmful for people. And it's actually, I think, very helpful for young coaches and teachers is when you realize that you teach the way that you like the most because that's the way you like it. Yes. Same with coaching. Like, no, I mean, no, for sure. We, fucking, we give our clients programs that we like. Oh, what yeah, you? and you coach the way that you like to be coached. Coached, yeah, exactly. And you need to coach the way that they like to be coached. And you need to teach the way that they like to be teached. And you need to be able to identify that. Um, so the way I learn is storytelling. No nice. doubt. If I can hook something to a story, it's in my brain, unquestionably. Uh, this is why I storytell, though, because I can't remember things very well. Daddy. And I, I don't uh, process things very well. So if it's a story in my head, if I teach a story, then I'll never forget my story. And uh, I'll, I'll never have to remember material. Sweet. Last four, okay. Your top life advice. Well, what are you going to leave this world with? Say here. I had, Alex, I, I had Alex Fiat on last week and he says, don't be an asshole. <laughs> yeah, man. My top life advice is uh, probably pale blue dot. What the hell is that? Uh, Carl Sagan. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. We're fucking small and very unimportant. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you get one very, very, very short ride. Very true. I know you mentioned the book by Carl Sagan, but is there, what are you currently reading and, and what is your top book if it isn't that one? Uh, that's not my top. I like it, but uh, it's not even close to, to my top. So what would be your top, top book? One you, one you give away as a gift and what are you currently reading? Yeah. So I have one book. Oh, it's in my office in our office um, that I have nonstop. It's called Barbell Buddha. Chris's book. Yeah, the collective writings of Chris Moore, and uh, I, I can read that thing nonstop. I actually heard um, you say that before on another podcast. It, it's fantastic. I love it to death. Uh, Chris is uh, one of the strongest natural powerlifters in America for a long time. Uh, he has a master's degree in yeah. movement. He's published a bunch of research. He's coached a bunch of people. Was of course um, on Barbell Shrug for a long time, and so the. The journey of Chris is, is one of my favorite stories that I've ever been fortunate enough on this planet to be a part of. I've never been more proud of a person than Chris. I've never seen a person grow more, mm. not even close than Chris. So to watch him the way that he was when he was 25, the way he turned out when he was 35, uh, it was just phenomenal. And he learned to write and he was just an exceptional writer and a hilarious and a funny storyteller. And so his book really is a combination of uh, what he didn't even realize, and this is not intended in the book, but it is so clearly uh, evident is the, the book is a short collection of his life journey. And this is not what he meant it to be, but it was just something like he would blog about something, if you will, and he eventually turned his blogs into books. Yeah. And one of them was about change, and one of them was called Way Past Stronger. And so the collective writings is all three books poured into one. And it's beautiful because it would be something, you know, one post would be about yeah, you know how back squatting changed his life or something and then the next one would be uh, his uh inspiration from ex machina and what the future is going to be like and, and and all this stuff and then the next one would be about a song by queen i mean it's all centered around the strength edition would always have a faith a base in almost every story yeah but really it was uh i mean it's just how he learned and all these things and so it's it's really something that I think if you're into strength conditioning, it's so it's 60, 70 so percent strength conditioning. It's enough 
be there, but it is also not like a training book or program design book or anything like that. The story stories are very, very, very short. You could basically pick up any one and read them completely out of order if you want. It doesn't really matter, but it's something you can kind of flip through if you got 10 minutes or you're trying to cool down or something and you, you flip through and read one of the little passages or some of them or take three hours to read somewhere longer. And, um, uh, it's just something that kind of gets you out of your world a little bit, but that's uh, something that I'm phenomenally uh, in love with. And, and of course, you know, Chris passed away a few years ago, completely unexpectedly. And so all the, um, his wife and his two kids and stuff are behind. So she's, she gave up everything. Kids gave up, Chris gave up everything to go do what he wanted to do and, and do this writing stuff. And then of course, as soon as everything started going right, he passed away unexpectedly. So um, supporting the book also supports Janie and the kids and stuff, which you know, is, is something that is very helpful. So I think it's just a great, great thing. I'll be sure to put that into the show notes for sure. And, you know, it's funny, you know, you mentioned Chris, cause I was actually only watching, uh, it was actually your podcast on the many podcasts you've done on Barbell Trouble. It was one of your earlier ones and he opened up the show and I just like, every time I see him, I can't believe like that he's, he's not with us anymore. And I, I never personally got to meet him or speak to him, but, he definitely is a human being that I, I feel I, that I would have resonated well with if I ever had met him. And he was just so fucking funny too. He was funny as fuck. And he's a great, uh, great guy, man. Like yeah. it's just so fun to see the guy he turned up being too, from the guy he, he was when he was, you know, younger. So he was, yeah. he was just a great dude, man. I just uh, want to say thanks so much for sharing it. Cause uh, obviously I know he, he meant a lot to you guys. And uh, so I really appreciate that answer. Um, last two, you have one year left on earth. Elon Musk has has said that he'll get us off. <laughs> I used to I used to word this as if you've got one year left to live, and I was like, that's it. It's a little bit. Uh, that's a little bit. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. so I say you've just one year left. You've 365 days left on Earth for whatever reason. How would you spend that year, and why? Oh man, I'm a nature kind of guy, so I would probably want to go to Yellowstone or uh, with the shovel, like that. with the shovel. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh you know being out in nature yeah uh swimming in really cold lakes uh, of course you know having my family and stuff and having the kiddo and all that would be ideal but that's what i would want to do i would i would probably not i would be a lot less interested in uh doing all the other i definitely would would not touch my cell phone ever again that'd be gone um but not interested in that at all but yeah. for sure being enjoying the physical world that that would be it brilliant Okay, Andy, I'm in town, and I say to you, this is the very last question, by the way. Well, I'm in town, I say, Andy, I want to take you for dinner, and you can invite five people to this dinner, dead or alive, because I've, yeah. I've got magic powers. Who would you invite to this dinner, and why? Well, I don't know if I'll fill all five, but uh, Alton Brown would be there, no doubt. I already described why. Yeah. Henry Rollins would be there. Nice. Clearly. he's. Uh, if you haven't read his essay on lifting, it's phenomenal. I, I saw actually Chris Moore took me to see uh, Henry Rollins live. It's the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. I hate punk music. I hate ska music. I don't think Henry Rollins has made a good song in his life, but that fucking guy is just my idol. He's, he's unbelievable. Um, yeah. If you listen, ever get a chance to listen to that guy speak, if he's ever touring, it will change. Uh, just, you know, it may not change anything. It's just fucking phenomenal, man. Like he's just phenomenal. I love the way that he thinks uh, completely enthralled with with how he thinks um anthony bourdain has always been on that list for me for the thousand reasons i just love how he sees different things differently or he did uh in fact you know i don't give a shit about celebrities i've been around a lot i've been around a lot of high level people been employed by them and paid by them and stuff and 
I, I never get starstruck and I never care when celebrities die. I never have made a post, but the Anthony Bourdain was the only one where I was really bombed about. Robin Williams uh, for me. I was with Bob with Robin though. Yeah, I didn't give a shit about, no offense, but I didn't care, no, about, yeah, I it's, care it's true. about any of those people. I'm always like, man, why do you give a shit about this fucking actress that killed herself? I'm the, I, I'm a thousand the same. people that die yeah. a day. Who gives a shit? Yeah, I'm the same too, but... But I thought Anthony is someone who actually is doing genuinely good things for the world. Um, and it was a very, very just unique talent. And so that one really sucked. Uh, but he would be high on that list, no doubt. Uh, and, we're all, um, we're also conditioned to believe that death is this fucking terrible gloomy doomy thing, and that's purely just conditioned in us. And like, yeah, yeah I keep telling people, listen, you wouldn't know what fucking life of it if there was no death, and it's inevitable. So it's all about coming to peace with the fucking thing, yeah, like, you know. For sure, and I'd probably also say Christopher Hitchens. Nice. I love Hitch. Just like again, the way that I'm generally fascinated with people who stare at the exact same thing and see something different. Yeah. Um, not to be contrarians or not to be rebellions, but they, they're able to just see as many perspectives as possible. Like that, those guys are all pretty uh, high up in the list. And then, I don't know, maybe, maybe Mary Curry or something. Like one of these all time, just badass old female scientists that were like, fuck you and your good old boys club and just did something awesome. So she, she killed herself with radiation, though, didn't she? Yeah. Well, I think she had like mercury poisoning or some shit like that from dealing with too many chemicals yeah exactly that's a pretty fucking awesome list man and yeah, yeah. Richard, Richard Hitchens is a good call there's a clip with him where it was when he had his cancer diagnosis and he wasn't doing too well and some guy goes to him so uh, Richard how are you doing he goes well I'm dying but so are you <laughs> this is yeah. brilliant this is brilliant Annie listen this is an absolute pleasure I'll just wrap up and I'll say goodbye to you offline so Annie has to go I have to go uh, he gave me an extra 20 minutes of his time and this was absolutely fantastic and everything we spoke about will be in the show notes um, so I'll put links to everything on his website Chris's book of course Bar- or Shrug Collective as it is now and everything and anything else that you want to put in so uh, for everyone listening thank you so much Andy thank you so much for your time and for everyone listening take care be well and stay strong mm-hmm.